Words, they get golly hard when they jumble Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle Merc and fool, like Squirtle and Kate Boo Cold-blooded with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about the dance of relationship, owning our power, boundaries, transformation, and breath. I've been thinking about the theory of change, the practice needed to break old habits, and the willingness we hold to create a better life. I've been thinking about staying together and breaking apart, and how we can make either choice and progress in a manner that's best for all involved. My guest today is Gabrielle Hartley. She, with Elena Brower, are the authors of Better Apart, The Radically Positive Way to Separate, which asks the question, what if you emerged from your divorce stronger and more resilient than before, and then goes about giving us the path to doing just that. Gabrielle and Elena have created a simple five-step process to shift one's perspective and more successfully navigate the divorce. Welcome, Gabrielle, and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Thank you so much for having me. So Kate Northrup, the best-selling author of Money, A Love Story, says about your book, addressing the practical, emotional, and spiritual better part is a major paradigm shifter. What paradigm were you two setting out to shift? So when people think of divorce, people usually think of just a negative construct. And having grown up with divorced parents and then working in the New York City matrimonial court, I saw how negative and difficult the um, a lot of relationships unravel in, in a way that we, we need to alter. And so what I wanted to shift was that people begin to look at divorce as an opportunity to go forward in a transformative way. And so that you look at it as a chance to restart and begin your life fresh. And it really is a radical shift. It's funny when I, I got to admit, when I first saw the book cover, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know how radical a shift really is it? Like, <laughs> radical shift. And then I read the book and I'm like, oh my gosh, it is a completely radical shift. Um, and, and not only just because of the system within which you're dealing, which is an mm. adversarial system to begin with, it's meant to set up that way. And the, the mindsets that people have going into it and the expectations they have. Um, but what your, approach is really tackling and the ways in which you are going about shifting and the transformations personally and within the system that you're talking about. Um, Hmm. So so it really is radical. Um, How radical a shift is it in your mind? For people so to that's a really great question, because as you're saying, it's really radical. I don't actually think it's that radical. I think for me, it feels very natural. I don't look at divorce as a break. I look at it as a transformation. Um, and when we take a step back and think, why are we separating? Why are we getting divorced? Now, of course, there's always the proximate cause, what caused the breakup. But ultimately, we move forward from one system, one family system to another when we need to, when it's no longer serving us and it's not helping us to be our best selves. And so rather than using your divorce as a ongoing negative narrative that you're feeding to yourself, what we've done with Better Apart is we break down the divorce process into five essential elements, which are patience, respect, clarity, peace and forgiveness and forgiveness is compassion. And it's all about how you can look at yourself in a more whole way. So you can feel more deeply rooted in who you are and what feeds you and what's going to bring your life to a better place. Cause often when we're in a relationship, we silence lots of parts of ourselves in order to sustain the balance in the relationship. And over time, if we're not really mindful of that, we can get lost. And so during the breakup or even when the breakup part is over, but when you're getting over it and you're trying to recalibrate and reframe where you're going from where you have been, this is a nice construct to look forward. It's a new optic. You say in your book, you kind of, um, offer an, uh, a new way of looking at it and, and a new intended result. And you say, handled well, your divorce will be a stepping stone to your highest freedom and most conscious living. Mm-hmm. And that an openness to small shifts in habits and perspective can make all the difference. Um, and then you go and, and the two of you outline what those steps and habits are. And I want to talk about that. But before we do, I want to kind of set the stage in, in listeners' minds about 
how different this would be than the typical journey through divorce. And you, you kind of lay out the, the different options. You know, it's an adversarial system. You could get two lawyers. They duke it out, um, which is the, the, really the way to go if you want to cause as much pain to everyone involved as possible <laughs> and spend as much money possible. Some, sometimes it's necessary, though, Ellie. Sometimes you have um, your partner is not willing to engage, even if they say they want to get to the table. They're so conflict diverse that they won't even come to the to the table and and sometimes your partner might be really impossible to deal with or maybe they you know they get advice from somebody so I, I just want to tell your listeners that if it turns out that you have to go to court it doesn't mean that oh well my divorce isn't going to make my life better it doesn't mean that you can't handle yourself with dignity and grace and with the mind's eye to a positive future I'm sorry. No, no, that's absolutely what I want to talk about. Because one of the things that's so great about your approach is that you can do this on your own. I mean, even with mediation, you have to get the other person to come to the table. Um, even if that is an option, they have to participate. But really with this, you can make uh, do a different dance. And I really like the books, The Dance of Anger and The da Dance of Intimacy, because of that fact that just by changing the dance that you're doing, exactly. um, you can change the outcome and the exactly. environment. Exactly. And so a lot of this is um, when we talk about mantras for forgiveness, for instance, you know, we can just say to ourselves, I'm sorry for my part. I'm sorry for not addressing my part sooner. Um, because when you apologize to yourself, you're you're reframing the way you're starting to think about what happened. And then it doesn't really matter what what the other person does, because you're your um, steps in the dance are changing. And so their steps are going to have to shift over time as well. You, you also talk about within the steps, one of, one of them that is overriding with all of them is practicing kindness through the divorce mm -hmm. process. And mm -hmm. you say you may find that you and your former spouse are much better friends or co-parents than you were lovers or partners. And I think that just opens the door for people to say, a, a, the relationship's not ending. Um, it's a different form of the relationship. And that that's okay. And it might that be a really better form. That is really such a great point, and I'm so glad that you brought that up, um, because I see so often there are there are couples that really are not great together, and it's really hard to leave a situation that's not you, you know there's no there's been no big drama. It's really hard to leave because you're feeling ambivalent or because every day is too difficult. Um, and so what happens is people almost manufacture a fight or they let things go on too long and somebody acts out because that makes it easier to leave. So if we start to relook at what separation is, is really it's an opportunity to recreate yourselves together. How many, many dyads, many couples can become better together when they're apart. And this is really an opening and an unfolding. And when I reached out to Elena um, about this project, you know, I said to her, which I think really spoke to her, was that I really wanted um, to give permission to people that it's okay to not hate each other. And I really wanted to bring together my legal background and her spiritual background and together bring forward this concept that says it doesn't matter who you are, how, how much money you have or how poor you are or, you know, where you live, we're, it's all a human experience and we're all just trying to get through this life in as successful a way as we can. And these relationships typically start from love and it's the best if we can leave maybe not with deep love, but at least with strong neutrality, and then work towards kindness. Well, I think those are aspects that are, that are offer, often forgotten. And, and that's why I say it's a radical shift. Because, you know, you think of the first shift, which happened maybe 30 years ago, um, which was mediation and people having mediation as an alternative, a kind of cooperative divorce as an alternative to the adversarial system. And one of the huge benefits of that is something you talk about in the book is people have this idea that, especially if they feel betrayed, that they're going to be able to go into court uh -huh. and, and be heard and have someone empathize with them and say, you are right. You were so wrong. Right. Um, and that that doesn't happen. And that even if you're the winner in court, that 
Through mediation, you have an opportunity to go through the emotional divorce. And so by the time you get to the end, it really is an agreement that's much more likely to be kept. So you're not going to end up back in court again and again. And you're, you've dealt with the emotion and the anger. But this takes it really so many steps further. Um, because you really are transforming your, not only the way you're processing the divorce, but really your self and your vision for the future and your, your, the relationships of all the people involved. So I want to ask you, what do you see as your goal as a professional in the field of family law? And what's your reputation in that world? Because you really are still in that world. You're acting as a legal representative in the, the court process for, for divorce. I- I am. I'm also um, a mediator and I and I offer coaching for people going through a divorce. I'm actually not litigating anymore. I've um, officially hung up my litigation um, shingle, at least um, at least that is the intention. Um, my goal is to start talking more and I'm speaking, I'm delivering a couple of keynotes um, on the East Coast and on the West Coast, talk about caring for ourselves through our divorce process. Because when we take better care of ourselves, we're able to take better care of everybody else in our family and and beyond our family. We're better, we're better able to show up at the right workplace and to really put ourselves into our lives. Because to me, it feels like so many people walk away from their divorce with this really negative story of a whole big period of time of their life. And um, wouldn't it be better to re-narrate that? And, and that doesn't mean to make it up and to create a past that didn't happen, but it's more like looking at the past that happened through a different lens because there are there's no one truth. In fact, I wouldn't say there's only three truths. There's your truth. There's my truth. There's the collective universal truth. There's the, there's the truth of the third party listening based, based on their brain and how they conceptualize things. So what I really want to do is to lend validity to people and offer an ear and guidance for anybody working with divorced people or going through a divorce or after a divorce and help them to reframe their lives so that they're really moving forward on their own in a positive track and in as positive track as possible with their ex and so that they can support their children and set the example that they want their children to live through as they move forward in their life. And what's been your reception thus far in the legal community? Because you had said, I think, that your reputation was an, an iron fist in a velvet glove. Um, has Have you found the system to be open to this approach? I, I will tell you that um, before I sort of went public with the fact that I was writing and then, in fact, I'd written this book, I was so worried about how I'd be received by my peers, uh, my colleagues. Um, but I've had such a warm, um, you know, um, reception by by basically everyone I've brought the project to. People are really excited about it. You know, you will find the one-off litigator who sends their client at the end of the divorce a card that says, congratulations, we never liked her anyway. Um, and that is, you know, sort of the mindset that I'm seeking to change. Um Yeah, because for most people, the whole experience, attorneys as well, it's pretty crushing and taxing to be really just fighting and fighting and and, um, knowing that that outcome is not really what's the most beneficial for for everyone, especially the kids. Yeah, because there's so much um, damage left in the wake when that kind of divorce happens. I really pride myself on being able to resolve practically any case so long as everybody is willing. And that's what I was getting to in the beginning, because sometimes you have parties where there's an intractable um, difference or just a personality trait that makes resolution impossible. But one other thing that, that is really important to Elena and to me in this project is that we were just telling people to take time to make space for themselves to increase their learning curve also around like finances. That's a really surprisingly complicated issue for a lot of people, even very well-educated, high-achieving people, especially women still, unfortunately, where they don't really have a good grasp on their family finances. And we talk about developing the patient's practice around slowly one foot in front of the other 
digging in and figuring out what their wants and needs are and where the intersection is and how to move forward. Yeah, I loved about the book that it really is a compilation of practical tools for going through divorce. Um, What are the elements to think about and educate yourself on? And then it seemed like a compilation of pretty much all the self-help books I've ever read, which are a lot. Um, Uh You know, from from, yeah, well, obviously, right? I was saying you definitely have a growth mindset, um, not a fixed one. And and from. Go ahead. Did you see the um, resources in the back? Yes, I mean, I, did. I just love so many of these self-help books. Um, and um, I'm so happy that you said that because that's just exactly what I wanted to set out to do it. Because there are so many books out there like how to divorce. And then there's all these self-help books, how to feel good. And and this book really sort of brings everything together. And there's nice little projects. And on my website at GabrielleHartley.com, I have opt-in gifts where the person can get, um, you know, a daily practice every day, just a small thing you can do to start reframing how your your what messages you're feeding to yourself. Because I think there is a lot to the concept of habit development by doing something every day, several times a day, over time, it becomes automatic. And so you don't have to think about it. And so when there is a battle, you're able to activate these positive thought processes. And you don't have to say, oh, well, now it's time for me to give myself a positive mantra. You're just, you tell yourself, I am calm. If you wake up every morning and say, I'm calm. And, you know, you just tell yourself at breakfast, I'm calm. And maybe at lunch and you pick five or six times a day. And then when your ex comes at you with something that's just something that you don't really have an easy time dealing with, you just, before you just react, you say to yourself, I'm calm. And then maybe your response will be that much more metered. Well, and I think the effectiveness of it comes from what you offer in combining the elements of the mental, um, the physical and the spiritual, and and a lot of it based on neuroscience as to how our brain um, shifts and synapses realign so that we can break habits and have new habits. And so it's not just a Pollyanna approach, like you're closing your eyes and shutting off your ears (laughs) and saying, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm. You really are moving to a space of being able to be calm in this challenging situations. And I think that's the other place I I have to admit, when I first started reading the book, I was a little cynical. I'm like, do they really think they're going to get everyone to start doing yoga, especially in this midst of this typically chaotic (laughs) (laughs) experience. But that's not what you're offering. And you are offering really simple steps that anyone can take. Um, And it really is as as little or as large, um, because it's both as taking a breath. And a lot of it is, is exactly, well, taking a breath is the smallest one, because Breathing is the very first most elemental thing we all do as as human beings. Um, I, I offer to my clients often to make lists, positive lists. Um, I don't talk too much about neuroscience because I'm not a neuroscientist, but I know from all of my reading that um, that all of these practices really do work, but you need to practice them regularly so that you start rewiring as you were starting to talk about LA. Some of the simple steps that anyone can take you offer that are they're very practical that are stopping the gossip and staying off of social media when you're in the mm. midst of a divorce. Mm-hmm. Why why is that important? Oh my goodness, so many reasons. Um so first of all, the gossip mill. Um especially when you have children nothing positive is going to come from other people saying negative things about your child's parents. Okay. So you don't want that to get back to your child. You don't want that just in the air around you. Um, Also over time, your relationship with your ex is likely to improve. And the third parties that you're talking to will not forget all of the negative things that you said. And so to the extent that you're able to compartmentalize and speak about, you know, obviously everybody needs to vent, but I would encourage that you pick choice people to be vulnerable with and limit it to those people. Um, and it can be difficult, but having people spread negativity is not going to serve you or your family at recreating a positive dynamic. Um, and then social media can cause so many problems. Um, it can, first of all, that can start gossip. You know, you show a picture of you and your friends out 
at a nice dinner and you're looking so happy and then your ex's friend sees that and they say, oh, well, she's doing really well with all the money you're paying. And then that sort of feeds into the gossip. Um, also, you can't really control what other people write on your social media. And so people can say things that can really set off your spouse and it can come right into the divorce, into the um, negotiating, into the court case, and even afterwards. So I know in today's day and age, it's really impossibly hard to say 100% stay off social media. But to the extent that you cannot look at it and not be on it, that's really advisable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep the input at a more basic level, and you're going to be able to clear your mind better. This whole idea of refocusing, recalibrating, and resetting is predicated upon clearing your mind so that you can think and so that you're not completely clouded by the emotional swirl. Yeah, and so you don't want things zinging at you either when you finally reach that calm state where you're like go about to go in the meeting and you're like, okay, and you, exactly. you see something. Exactly. And, and even with that zinging, um, that just brought something up. You know, sometimes just getting an email from your ex can be very activating in a negative way. And I often encourage um, my clients to set up an email that you're going to check maybe even twice a day if you have young kids um, that's designated just for your spouse to use. And so that way you can control when you see that email. And so you're not, you know, wrapping up something work-wise and then this email pops up on your screen and then you're maybe distracted or off kilter. You can you can control when you're getting that input. Yeah. And I love that idea, right? That that control the things that you can control, because as you say, there's going to be so many things that you can't. Oh, gosh. And that so this many. is when you can. And you can also control and learn to control whether you're going to, um, you know, act or react and, and what mode of, of communication you're going to use. And and mm -hmm. you bring that up, the idea, you know, maybe with your spouse or even with your attorney or the, the other people involved, you can choose how and when you're going to communicate with them. Yeah, and if you have an impossible spouse, and again, it doesn't matter if you're in mediation, if you're in collaborative law, you're in litigation, you you are in control of you and how you go through this process. And um, there are services such as um, Our Family Wizard. That's just one that's pretty popular in the part of the country where I live. But it's an online platform that that helps people to communicate and it holds both sides accountable. So for instance, if you have a spouse who just never replies, if you opt in to use the service, maybe it's about $100 each per year, the judge can see it, your lawyers can see it if you opt in for that. And at the very least, you have a, a very clear record of exactly what transpired. And we get away from that, he said, she said. And I want to put out there, since we're a little way in, just the idea that, you know, someone listening might be thinking, oh, well, I'm not getting a divorce, so this doesn't apply to me. And and I was mm. reading the book, I, I thought um, about how this book translates beyond divorce. And it reminded me of Marie Kondo's book, which oh. is now the um, top Netflix show, which I just think is another example in our reality today about how anyone can do anything if they feel confident about it, and they're passionate about it. Because here's a woman who doesn't even speak English, and has the top <laughs> Netflix show. Um, but her book, The Life Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and it's really about so much more. And, and so is yours, you say your hope is that learning, this learning will be shared to more of us, so more of us can be exposed to the radical idea that forgiveness and compassion are crucial to our social evolution as species. So that includes us all, that this that is, is a book that we can all learn right. from. That it, and, and it's just funny that you brought up Marie Kondo, because when I first submitted um, my proposal, I actually use that book as, although it has nothing to do with divorce, as a comp uh, for, for this book because she talks about cleaning your closets, clean your mind. And I say, you know, clean your mind, think more clearly, empty your mind of all the swirl and, and enter a phase of compassion. And really, um, this book is, is written for people going through a separation, but the, the um, elemental messages are for absolutely all of us. And the processes as well, for making change, for sort of self transformation, absolutely. and then making building a, a visualizing a different future and then building it. 
Absolutely. When I'm having a tough day, I say to myself, I better go read my book. Yeah, yeah. It's really full of really great advice. I keep, you know, people say, is the book good? I said, I, I, I think the book is just great. Um, I just want as many people as possible to read it and share it. And I, I think it's really going to help people. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it. That really speaks highly to me. So outwardly, the book is about mm-hmm. designing an elegant divorce. And, and you mentioned the five basic steps, patience, respect, clarity, peace and forgiveness. Um, how does practicing peace affect the whole process? Oh, my goodness. So practicing peace, which in the legal world, I almost always get a big eye roll, um, is so important because that sets the stage for responsiveness rather than reactivity. And so the peace practice is all about developing your ability to respond with neutrality, even when you're feeling negativity, okay? And so when we can get to neutral, that's the starting place to move into positive. I just and have to th- throw in there because I wrote down some of my favorite quotes from the book. And, and the, one of oh. Elena's was, neutrality is a state of holding no tension in your body. It's not weakness or a lack of opinion. It's fact. It's a clear strength. Absolutely. And and I also think, you know, you mentioned being able to be responsive rather than reactive, with, which I think is the key to any effective negotiation or communication. Yeah, and it's funny that you, that you should say that because right as you were saying that um, point, I was thinking that divorce attorneys also could learn from that. There's so much reactivity in the field and there's so much reactivity whenever we're confronted with something that's difficult, especially today when we're living in this world of immediate gratification, when we can't get what we want when we want it, peace really seems to go out into the wind and we need to bring it back into ourselves and into our families. Well, and it's funny because even in litigation, you're making me think that's what makes an effective litigator. It's not the litigator who is just not even listening to what's being said and just waiting to say what they want to say um, and and has their whole sort of battle plan ready. It's the person who is really listening to what just was said and not reacting to it, um, but acting from it. Exactly. Because that's where that's where the strength, that's where the the um, intuition begins, right? So what we really want to do here is to tap into our internal knowing, okay? And so when we're at neutral, we're sort of like in our center, and that's where we can start listening to our gut. And from there, everything else unfolds. So one of the other elements you talk about is patience, and I really liked your definition of it, which is the practice of patience is an exercise in learning to sit with what is challenging and allow time for things to settle and realign. And this is another place where you can control, right? You can control when, not only how, but when you're going to react. Um, and, and how does this play out in the, the divorce process? Yeah, so patience is my favorite chapter because I'm the most impatient person, as you can tell. I, I speak quickly. I grew up in New York City. I think quickly. And um, and I've, I've really had to work very hard on this whole idea of slowing down and and calibrating and deciding when to respond to things and when to think things through and not just impulsively give a a reaction. So in the divorce process, you need patience with absolutely everything. You need patience first and foremost with yourself. Then you need patience with your ex, with the court system, with the law, with your in-laws, with the the schools that may not give you two notices home for your children. Um, You need patience for Every single part of the process, it's a slow process. It is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And knowing that things will all come together is the best thing that you can keep in your mind's eye. Um, Somebody once said to me, remember, Gabrielle, slowest is fastest. And that just like made me want to scream in the moment. But it is such wisdom And if you're going through a divorce, you just really need to keep reminding that to yourself. 
So I'm not sure how I want to talk about this, but I know I want to talk about it because it really is the core of the book and the way in which it applies to everyone, whether they're going um, through a divorce or or any other kind of separation or not. And Mm -hmm. you say becoming better means recognizing where there may be edges to explore. Mm. And so that first step... Of, of seeing those edges, right, and recognizing them. And then mm-hmm. what I want to talk about is how hard once you've seen those, I mean, it's one of those things, it's like, ah, it's so simple, and yet it can be so hard, um, so easy and so difficult at the same time, which is to actually change. Um, and one of the things you say is act the way you wish to think, and your mindset will actually shift. Mm-hmm. What does that so- mean? So, you know, we get in patterns of behavior, ways of being that have developed, you know, evolutionarily, they've developed from how we grew up, from our cultural background, you know, from our families of origin, from our peer groups. And so we are who we are and, you know, we just go about our lives and we have a set a system of beliefs about how our life is and where we fit into the world. But just because we think that things are a certain way doesn't mean that that is how they have to be or that is how they are. Those are just the ways, that's like a a fixed mindset. And what I'm encouraging is that you open your mind to a growth mindset and maybe start thinking of your life differently and start behaving in the way that you want it to be. And it starts to feed on itself. So let's say you notice you complain too much, okay, or somebody tells you that, maybe start paying attention to the words you're saying for two hours out of the day, because you can't just do this all day, every day, it'd be basically impossible to change how you are in a second. But for two hours of the day, you just pay attention to the messages that you're giving yourself or that you're putting out there. And maybe choose to spend time instead of with somebody who's familiar but a little bit negative with somebody who might be a little bit outside of your usual purview or go into an um, environment that's not somewhere that you normally go that uplifts you. And you can, start, you can start making changes in your life by making a small change on a regular basis. And, and what was your path to getting to the place where you knew ha- you had to write this book? Um, I don't know. I guess I was in my early 40s and I'd been thinking about writing this book for so long that I said, I actually said to my mother, I better do this now because in 20 years, people are going to, you know, when you're 20 years older, you become invisible. And she said, oh, what the heck are you talking about? I'm more visible now than I was when I was your age. But um, I just that's felt like- That's changing. Yeah, it's true. It's totally true. But um, I just felt that there's such a strong need. I had client after client hugging me when they would leave at the end of the divorce and thanking me so much. And I kept saying, "What? how can I get these messages out to a broader population? How can I spread this sort of positive word? And how can I bring in legitimacy of incorporating some spirituality? And I know that word can put people off, but really just about connecting with your innermost self and calming your body down. You can just look at it as like mind body. Um, if yoga and meditation, you know, instead of saying a mantra, just say affirmation, if that doesn't speak to you. And that's why I really, I had to write it. And when I reached out to Elena and asked her if she'd like to um, collaborate with me, I was so happy that she was interested because I knew that she and her former husband had a really elegant parting and they had a young child. um, And the, the whole way we looked at this was really in line with each other. And it's just, it's just been a really amazing process and um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's been awesome. And I'm, I'm excited for what's to come. Well, it's interesting because you just tapped on so many important points. And one I think that is is the kind of negative connotation of spirituality, which really makes no sense in our world. If you look at how many people believe in God, how many people go to church, how many people spend time, you know, being killing for religion and yet somehow the the if if you put spirituality in there it's like "Ah, these dopes that are just out there you know doing what but anyway that's a whole nother interview that is a whole Um, other thing and that is so so infuriating and crazy making to me because it does it it does all go together but call it what you what you may yeah 
it's 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 but, real but stuff. What kept me up in the middle of the night last night was thinking about how you do exactly what you're doing. And you're doing it through this book. But I thought about the process of, you know, do you go about changing the individuals who are going through divorce? Or do you go about changing, you know, the attorneys that they'll be working with? And in what angle do you kind of hit it at? Because one thing I thought about, which must have um, been part of the success for all your clients that you worked with to be able to do this is they had you as a guide. They had you, cause it's one thing to read a book and to kind of start doing the things and, you know, life work doing, you got to do the work, but, but it's hard and it can take a while. Mm-hmm. And right now you're in, mm-hmm. in the middle of all of this, that your clients had you as a guide. And in those moments you could say, Hey, wait, you know, let's not send that email now, or you could sit down with them and make a list and you could just talk back to them, you know, teach them about reflective listening and, and listen to them and talk back to like, you know, what might be some options here or remind them to take a breath. How do you exactly. see it working sort of um, on a bigger scale uh, in the next steps? Like, are you going to go about trying to change, um, you know, teach attorneys how to support yeah. their clients in this process? So, um that is that is like so wonderful and so exactly where my mind is going and I am in contact with law schools and I am in contact with different legal groups around the country to address lawyers you know the people who are most open to it tend to be litigation I mean mediation friendly attorneys in the first place but I, I think things are shifting and changing and the hope is that um, as ADR, which is for your listeners who are not lawyers, um, alternative dispute resolution is becoming part of the law school curriculum, which it was not way back when I went to law school. The hope is that the lawyers start at least taking small bits of this into their practice. Um, I think the younger lawyers are more comfortable with mindfulness than people who are in my cohort. Um and the hope is that the younger lawyers start incorporating this into their practices. I, I am also intending to address individuals at retreats all over the country. Um, some of them are divorce-related symposiums. Some of them are just wellness retreats. And I will be posting every, – everything will be able to be located on my website at gabriellehartley.com um, under media and events. And so you'll be able to follow me there. But at and and so that's for people who, you know, so I can reach a, a lar- larger audience. And I'm still available doing one-to-one consultation, but I really want to spread this in such a way that other people are then able to share it with their clients. And it's not, you know, all attached to me expressing and explaining this and because it's, it's too big. It, it, it takes a village. And um, there are more and more lawyers and people like you who are starting to promote the idea of thinking outside of the box in a positive way. And how did your clients typically respond to the idea of, let's say, doing a mantra that was, I deeply love and accept myself, and you gave options if they couldn't get quite there yet, but or or being told that it would be helpful to figure out what brings them joy, which a lot of people, and certainly in that situation, probably haven't stopped to think about. What was, if there was a typical reaction, what, what was it? You know, so I'll say the people who hire me sort of know how I practice. So it's like a self-perpetuating group. My, my clients love it. I think it's a, a breath of fresh air. So they don't feel like they're like going to the lawyer. They feel like they're going to a friend who's really helping them. And I am their lawyer when they hire me, obviously, to represent them. Um, but I, I do, even when I work for the judge, I was always telling people to do sun salutations and deep breaths, you know, which um, was kind of tongue in cheek at, at the time. But People like it. People send me their homework. Um, you know, I don't. I don't tell every person to find things that you know spark joy, as Marie Kondo says. Um, but but when I feel that there's an opening for them, I definitely offer it. And even the most machoist guy, you know, might have a really hard time being around their spouse when they perceive that they're lying or they're spinning something in a certain way. And almost everybody when they're in the thick of it, is open to some breathing. You know, maybe they're not going to send me their their happy journal list, but they will do some deep belly breathing with me or at least listen to me explain how to do it. Or maybe do an Amy Cuddy power pose in the elevator. Absolutely. Yeah, did, did you like that? Yeah, I mean, I just love her so much. She has such great... I, in fact, I have... 
know if you read that in the book, I, I have clients often go into the bathroom and stand in that star position before they go into the courtroom just to give them a little bit of an elevated feeling of power. Even if they're not saying anything, it still just makes them feel better in that environment. Well, and again, science shows that it works. And that's the other, I think, aspect of what we're just sort of joking about, about the, you know, degrading the idea of anything being spiritual or or that not having, you know, any credit in the real world. Uh, It's the same with so many of these exercises and, and small shifts. It's almost like the idea of um, learned helplessness, you know, like, so if you grow up in poverty, there's like cyclical poverty, right? So you think that that you are poor, or if you grow up and you've had really negative relationships with your family of origin, you think, well, this is what relationships feel like. But if you decide that that is not what you're meant to be experiencing, just by deciding it, you're you're making the first step, right? So I, I I have this little thing that I sort of call ver visualize, internalize, and realize, and um, it's really powerful. I mean, it sounds woo woo, but it's really not because by getting very clear and very specific in what your aspiration is, it starts to just appear. The universe makes it appear, um, and it's not. It, it doesn't happen without you doing anything, but by you thinking about it, it brings the energy to where it needs to be to create the reality that you're looking to create. And as I'm saying it, I know I sound crazy, but, but, but you don't. Really I was just going to say the opposite. It really is the opposite. You reframe it in different language, and it really is Stephen Covey's, you know, the, the, the Habits of Effective People or any of these other books that are written in a business language, which really are just the exact same um, behaviors and uh, mind shifts. And uh, you just instead use maybe we use the word mantra, which then makes it seem like maybe it's woo woo, but but it really is not. And especially it really isn't. And especially you break it down into very doable, practical steps, um, which I think is so helpful as to how yeah, do we do this. And you know, you talk a little bit about how our thoughts create a reality, and that you ask clients to visualize and internalize and realize. Um, and maybe we can just talk a little bit about how and why that does work, because you really hit on something, the idea that people may not even be, they have such a fixed mindset, they may not be able to even think that their lives can be different, or that to visualize what that might look like, or that they deserve it, you know, that it's possible that they deserve it, that that, that it'd be okay to have that. What I have people do is to just write down their fantasy of what their life looks like in as much specificity as possible around whatever issue they're grappling with. So if you were my client, for instance, and I was coaching you, we would be talking about what is happening now. And then we would do some deep work on what brought you joy when you were younger. And then we take that and we bring it to today where do you want to be? And then we do an exercise where we write in the in the present exactly what we want. And so like, you know, I'll give you an example. So I was like practically a professional bridesmaid. I was a bridesmaid 13 times um, between the ages of 26 and 31, which was a lot. And um, one day I decided I'd had enough and I wanted to write down the qualities I wanted in um, a husband. And I... Um, I would come home from all these like awful dates and I just wouldn't be in a bad mood. I would just be like, you know what? I'm going to write down about, I'm going to like materialize this fictitious person. Right. And like, you know, that is exactly how I met my husband. Now I will say, you know, and he he and I are very open about this. There's things that are not perfect that I didn't, you be careful on your list, put everything you want on your list. But um, when you really get clear, things have a way of materializing and showing up. My husband showed up really, I'm going to say I started to write that list in the end of January. And I I did it really as a regular practice, um, which is, um, you know, might seem a little bit almost OCD. But I'd say I met him the first week of June of that year. And, um, and I've done that with lots of things in my life and things really appear and my clients have had very similar success. And it's really all about getting super clear on what you want. So if there's something that you're your feeling is amiss in your life. That's the part that you really need to drill down on. Okay, I just want to add a caveat to that is that when you're making that list, because I did the same thing, um, you (laughs) want to add, you know, why you want the thing, like think about why you want it. So you really get what it is you really want, and the essence of it. 
because you'll have people say, start to make their, how is it going to make you feel? You know, what, what is the the experience that you want to have that's connected with that aspect that you're putting on your list? Such a great thing, because I I remember, you know, when I, when I was in college, I thought I wanted to do something having to do with design, um, facilities, design and management. And I had all these internships um, outside of Cornell and, um, and when I was there, I started to think like, huh, like this seems cool and it's interesting, but I actually did not feel inspired when I was actually doing the job. And then I started to think, you know, I wanted to deal with people more. Like the feeling is such an important component of that. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, Ellie. Yeah. Like if you want the person to be tall or this or that, why, <laughs> why do you want that? What is that going to bring you? Um, right. so, so when you're working with your clients um, through a better part, and you said sometimes, you know, your clients, they're going to end up in court for whatever reason. You also in the book are setting people up for the best possible outcome in that occasion um, with practical tips to help them keep calm and centered and creative. And I think that's so important that the the techniques and skills and shifts that you'll be learning and making in the book can be translated to any environment. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, these are these are life skills. It's just when you're going through the divorce, really is a trauma. And when you're going through the divorce, um, it's I think really neat to have them all together. And then the book also does go through nuts and bolts of how to get through the financial section or parenting plans. How, what is a parenting plan? What are the best ways to handle a parenting plan? What resources should I look for? Um, or how do I even start this divorce? You know, I've done in total, you know, I've probably touched a thousand people's divorces over the course of my um, practice and my time with the court. And the fact of the matter is most people have done one or maybe two divorces. So they don't really know, um, you know, all the different ways that your divorce can actually go through the system. You don't need to necessarily go to court. Um, And just because you do go to court doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay in court or that you have to be enemies. Um, And so really it's all about keeping yourself held high no matter what happens. And obviously aspirationally, it would be great if you and your partner or your former partner both want to comport themselves with dignity, but that's not always the case. Sometimes people just want to win or get revenge and, and better apart really does offer tools that will help you to uplift yourself. And not only just to get through your divorce process, but even after the process, I found a lot of people have even a better time reading it when the divorce process is already happening or they've been in it for a while, because that at that point they can read, you know, I did, we did try to make the book short and very digestible. So even if you're in a trauma, you can read it. But but th- these skills are applicable well beyond the happening of the divorce. And especially with co-parenting, you talk a lot about functional co-parenting. And I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like. And, and just because the fact that, yes, when you go through the divorce, it doesn't end when you get that decree. Um, oh, no. You, you then have agreements that either have been put upon you by the court or that you've made together. And now you've got to work them out. And you're going to have changes that come up. And so you really do need those skills to be able to continue to work together w- with someone that maybe you hadn't been able to in the past. Absolutely. And one thing about parenting that I think um, it would be great if your listeners could take away is just remember, parenting plans are not one size fits all. You can do whatever feels right for you and for your spouse, bearing in mind your kids' needs. And and, um, I set out, you know, a bunch of different things to consider um, when you're fashioning your parenting plan. Well, and and offer other areas where people can tips for them and resources for them to educate themselves. Because we talked about earlier not having control in many aspects of this process. But educating yourself is an area where you can control that. And, and as you say in the book, in every state has different laws. Uh, every judge has different uh, attitudes and moods, depending on even the day <laughs> that you're in the courtroom. Right. The judge I used to work for, he used to say, you don't want this stranger in black robes deciding your life. Um, He said that lots and lots and lots of times. And at the time when I was working for him, I was, you know, I was like, oh, geez, here he goes again. But he that was like the best advice. And I was hearing it a thousand times. But the people in the courtroom were hearing it that one time. And hopefully it got through to many of them. Um, The other the other thing that I go through in the book is is a robust look at how to look at your finances and, you know, 
what to take, what to leave, what's important, what doesn't matter. Um, and Elena also adds some really nice um, practices for letting go, um, which I think are really important. And also for welcoming abundance, because when we're getting divorced, abundance abundant is about the last thing we're feeling. And and to your point, Ellie, even when we're not getting divorced, at many points of our in our lives, we may not feel like our life is flowing with abundance. And um, there, there's a lot of work in the book that can help to start to create a deep sense of radiant calm within ourselves and a flow of abundance, which is all going to lend us to feeling happier, no matter where we are in our life. And I think there's a great description of the process throughout the book from Elena's experience. Um, she, you know, it, it was work for her. And she goes through how she started, how she approached it, how things shifted, where the tough parts were. And I think most poignantly, how it affected her son's relationship with his father and the, the, the they're all of the three's relationship going forward. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and, you know, that they've done such a beautiful job. And, and my family, um, you know, we had, my parents had a messy divorce. See there, I did it again. I almost said we had, I actually have not been divorced, but growing up with a divorce, often people ask what my hardest, what my worst divorce was. And of course it was the one that I grew up with, which was my parents, even though it was a very good divorce. Um, and today we actually have, um, family holidays together when my father was very ill. My mother, who's been remarried to my awesome stepfather for 35 years, she's the one who helped get him into the right hospital and get the right care. And, you know, we really function as a true blended family. And um, it's wonderful. My my um, stepsister's mother is quite ill now. And my stepfather, who hasn't really spoken to her much over the years, my stepfather and my mother actually went to visit her recently in the hospital, which was really, um, I think, really a beautiful thing for, for them as well, you know, for my stepsister and for that, for that uncoupled family. Well, and I think throughout the book, there's so many points where you kind of sit back and say, oh, you know, or, ah, because the the family that's splitting up is always bigger than just the two people. Mm-hmm. And that there's so many other people, there's a whole court system involved, and then other people in, in your um, social community and in your extended family, that all are, are going to be needing to be communicated with and are participating in different ways. And so by changing the way that you're approaching it, and the way that you are behaving um, within that context, you're, you're affecting so many relationships. Absolutely. People do not realize, and and it's understandable that you don't realize it, but when you're getting divorced, people don't realize how much the way the divorce goes down impacts a ripple effect even beyond your immediate family. It it affects your friendships. You talk about a conversation you had with your uncle uh, just recently from a divorce Uh that happened, what, 30 years ago? Yeah, 40, almost 40 years almost ago, 40 actually. Years ago. Yeah, he's he, he's still mad at my dad. And they kind of get along with each other in a way, but he, he's always making comments. And I asked him, you know, to stop. And he said, I can say whatever I goddamn want to say. But then he did stop. And I thanked him. And, you know. <laughs> well, and but he thought fact, it was supporting your mom, right? Like in his yeah. mind. Yeah. And it's such a good example, yeah, too, of a different perspective. Brother. In his mind, he's being a good brother and, and supporting your mom. A hundred percent. By being against your dad. Mom, Right, exactly. And my mom's kind of like, get over it, you know, and, um, and it's just, it's interesting, because it, it, you're, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think it was so much about like deep seated anger against my dad. I think he's just being like a protective brother. And, and because people hold on to anger, right? And we all do. And he hasn't been divorced. Like, this is this is the universality of the themes. So what is one of the biggest shifts that you've seen in your career with someone working with these techniques? You mean with a client? With a client. Oh, yeah. Like the freedom to start having self-trust. That's really the biggest shift. Um, There's so much shame that accompanies many people when they're going through a divorce. And it's not about, it can be about the divorce, but in the case that I'm actually specifically thinking about, which obviously I can't disclose any of the details about, um, this person was sort of... um, led down a pretty negative path over the course of a 20-year marriage. And we really got her back in touch with herself. And she is just thriving. And her relationship with her family is better than ever. And she's back to work now. And it's, um, 
it's it's really it's great and she feels you know it's not like everything's perfect but she is well on her way to a path and she's eating better and she's exercising because we we bring in all kinds of um the, the whole person the whole body and um you know with with work we can really make change she's a great example of being the change you want to see of starting to acting the way you want to feel she really had um great faith and and this particular person was able to um really engage not just listen but she really engaged in the process and um it's been it's it's amazing you know i mentioned at the beginning that i was thinking about owning your power and that's such a perfect example. And, and throughout the book, I noticed, oh, I, I kept seeing the word betrayal. Uh, I thought I might go through and count, like how many times in that d- d- is the word betrayal? I don't know. <laughs> because it is such a uh, huge aspect of any, what you say, trauma, a separation in divorce, because people feel betrayed. They feel betrayed for minor things that happened for, throughout the relationship, whether it was two years or 20 years, and they feel betrayed in the process of divorce. They be, feel betrayed by life itself. And you can kind of go one way or another with that. Sometimes. You know, you can become the victim and and be even more powerless, or you can make the shift that you're describing your client did, where she owns her responsibility for for aspects that she was in control with within the relationship and then gains control for, for separating it. Absolutely. And then she, beyond just taking, beyond just owning her part, she was able to move forward. That's the, that's the goal here, right? The goal is not just to say, okay, you were bad. I was bad. I did messed up things. You did messed up things. It's about finding what feeds you and launching your life in a way that you may never have thought possible before. As Carol Dweck talks about in her book about um, growth mindset, um, she, um, she, she, you know, I mean, that's her whole book is about that. And there's, um, there's just so much to it. And any of us can do it. Even if we have a fixed mindset, if we decide we want a growth mindset, we can have one. And, and that's change. And that's power. And the book will help you do it. And you say, you, what you say in your book um, is this work is about creating your own internal peace, which will positively impact those around you and alter the energy that follows you through the day. This is why you're here. And I'm thinking you're meaning this is why you're here, here existing. Am I taking it too far? No, no, no. You're not taking it too far. It's like a double on hundred, right? Yeah. So you're yeah. here reading the book, but this is why you're here, like here on this earth, right? Like as far as we know it, all we have is today, not to get all spiritual again, right? But all we, any of us have is this moment, right? And so let's make this moment as fulfilling as we can. And obviously not every moment can be fulfilling. And as my seven-year-old reminds me, um, if we didn't have sadness, we would not appreciate happiness. And I think there's something to that also. But then also just steeping ourselves in sadness all the time after a period of time has passed. Again, when you're first in the divorce process, you know, all bets are off. But, um, But as we move forward, like why not try to make ourselves be as happy as we possibly can be and be as whole. So I I don't mean be fake happy. I mean like really be rooted into who we are, be our best selves. Um, You know, I'm not talking about past life regression. I'm not talking about delving deeply into your childhood. I'm just talking about tapping into deeply into you and getting yourself on the healthiest, most uplifted track that you can spend your life doing so that you feel really deeply rooted in all that you do to the greatest extent that you can given who you are. Okay, so I think we need to every time we're going to say spiritual, we just put practical in there instead, because I think it's just, it is really as as valid of a word in those in those uh, circumstances, it's just a connotation of, of spirituality. And I think if anyone wants to get on par with your seven-year-old, they can watch what happens to Elmo when he wishes for Christmas to happen every day. It does not, it doesn't, it doesn't end well. He takes his wish back. So I'm going to just read at the end one of the quotes that was my favorite of yours that you put in the book that was something from, and Elena might have put this in there, from poet Buddy Wakefield that says, forgiveness is the release of all hope for a better past. That's exactly right. And Elena did put that in. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So brilliant. And uh, 
your book is filled with, I think, a multitude of, of quotes that people are going to come away from being their favorite ones after reading it that are really going to help them through through any transformation. So I just want to say a wonderful book. It comes out on the 28th? 29th, yeah, next 29th. Tuesday. And my favorite quote, if I can throw that in. I was going to ask is... you, yeah. Oh, okay. And I thought I was, I was, thought I thought I was putting a... you on the spot. I was like, no, I was no, no, I have her, a favorite quote. <laughs> no, 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 I have it. Trust me. I've this. I've read this book many times. Believe me, I've written it and rewritten it. Oh, my goodness. So my favorite quote is, um, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Oh, yeah, that was a I good one. I love that one. Yeah. It's not my quote and it's of unknown origin because I tried to find out who wrote it, but it's unknown. But it's great. Yeah. Make maybe, it your own. Maybe that one's just straight down from God. Just put it out there with, with no <laughs> channel because he's like, this is one for everyone. The practical God, yeah, not the, the spiritual yeah, God. Yeah, the, the practical, practical God. God. The practical God, exactly. Because it's all practical. Well, it thank you practical. so much, Gabrielle. Oh my gosh, thank you and, so and much And just for where me. can people, I'm assuming Amazon and all the regular... Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, any local bookstore. And if you're interested in learning more about my mediation or coaching um, services, you can contact me at gabriellehartley.com. Okay, and you and that's your website. That's my website that and on the social other media that you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. All my social media links and everything is right there. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.